welcome back to the Women of Rock Oral History Project podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 5, with Emily Retzis, my uh, trophy wife. Um, We did refer to each other as fantasy wives for a while, and it has progressed to uh, trophy wives, which I think is nice. Um, Emily is the youngest person I have interviewed to date. Um, She is a phenomenal bass player, has played with uh, bands like Death Valley Girls. Um, She's performed alongside Shirley Manson and Fiona Apple. Uh, She has toured with Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. And currently she plays bass for Phoebe Bridgers. You might have seen her on Saturday Night Live a few weeks ago. I did, and I was very proud. Um, she played with Death Valley Girls for free at a Women of Rock Oral History Project event, the first fundraising event that we did in L.A. in 2018, which was really nice of the band and of her. Um, but this is actually the first time that we've ever looked at each other face-to-face, although over Zoom, and the first time we've spoken to each other. We've, like, emailed and texted, so um, this was our first date. I think it went really well, and I hope you enjoy the interview with Emily Retzis. But, um, but yeah, so that's how, like, we've never actually spoken. I remember we texted, and you invited me to the show. Like, that would have been fun, except um, I think I had, like, a six-month-long sinus. I probably had COVID or something at the time but I was just like sick for a long time I'm like I can't so uh oh going to gigs is rough um (laughs) at the best of times in in that it takes energy from you um yeah god that sure must have been a while ago yeah I think it was like two years ago yeah or something yeah so, but now um, we can be like real life friends. And when we do the like trophy wife hashtag, it's like, it's personal now. Yeah. Now it really means something. I also really appreciate that you turned it into trophy wife instead of fantasy wife. <laughs> I feel really good. <laughs> my dream is to just be, you know, someone thinks more of me than I am. But yeah, so I think this will be fun because I don't really know anything about you at all. And you're not really like Googleable. So it's like I usually do uh, research, but I was like, oh, cool. There's really not that much research. So this is going to be your first like telling your kind of like life story. <laughs> People can refer to it. Which is funny because famous. I feel like I'm an oversharer for sure. So, like, I feel like if you people that know me probably know everything there is sometimes okay. to know where I'm like, maybe don't tell people that. Um, but, yeah, no, there's not a lot of me on the internet. I think I do that on purpose. I don't think people yeah, people don't need to know about me. They don't care. Mm, I mean, people <laughs> like me care, but I'm just super nosy and I just like to know everything. Me too. I'm yeah. such an internet sleuth. Maybe yeah. that's why yeah, yeah. I know what people <laughs> like me like. Yeah. Wait, and are you Sagittarius? You Sagittarius? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So we get along. I'm also an oversharer. I actually, um, when we, I was like, Tanya, don't, 
when you said, how are you? I almost told you what I was doing. And then I was like, in my mind, like, don't, don't say it. I'm just going to tell you. your birthday next week? I was boiling dildos. Like, that's what I was doing before. We just, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, hey, you know, (laughs) cleanliness is important. (laughs) But I was like, why am I doing this like right before? Because I'm going to tell her because it's funny. But it's like, she doesn't need to know that. And so I just went, great. But I just wanted to tell you. No one needs to know anything. You know, that's the best part. That's that's where the fun of it comes from. Yeah. So let's start with, uh, where are you you from? Where'd you grow up? Texas? (laughs) You're from a little town in Texas. Um, I was born in this tiny little town called Sejuna which is in South Australia. Um, It's on the coast. Uh, I think it has a population of 2,500. But my family kind of lived like outside of town and in this other little town, I guess like called Smoky Bay, which is population 200 people. Um, So I grew up there. Do you have um, siblings? Yes, I have a younger brother. Um, and an older sister, very similar in age. Okay. Yasmin and Yanni. Middle child. Yeah, middle child. Very obvious. Pardon? You have middle child syndrome, whatever that is. Oh, I think I do, but I was talking about this with someone the other day where it's like, I'm middle child, but I have eldest child, like, responsibilities. Like, I don't think my sister is the eldest child responsibility I think that falls on me wait why why do you have or were you always like that yeah I think I'm like very type a and just like very organized Mm -hmm. and my family are very chill so I'm always like what are we doing where are we going what time are we leaving yeah um whereas everyone else is like we'll get there when we get there that's funny and um what did your or what do your parents do uh my mother was a nurse for a long time but now she manages like a crisis care center for indigenous children um that uh I guess it's kind of like foster care in a way um so like they're kind of like removed from their family and waiting to be placed with uh other family members or people within their culture so she manages a house um that works like with the community uh yeah I guess like rehousing them and my father uh, was a fisherman for a long time, um, lobster and shark, which is hilarious. Uh, and now he drives tugboats and fishes in his, like, spare time. Yeah. Oh, so he was a fisherman in a lot of ways. Yeah. And um, so you said that you were the, like, type A kid growing up. Um what about uh, in school? Just kind of like what what kind of young person were you? Were you popular? Did you have a lot of friends? Were you like an outcast, introverted, extroverted? I think because like the town was so small. Um, like my high school year, we had the final year of high school. Uh, I believe it was 12 people in my class. Um, so it's hard to be like the popular or slash the outcast when there's only like 10 and two of those were guys so it was 10 girls two guys um 
So I think it's hard to kind of like be an outcast, but or be popular in that sense. But I was like a very, I would say like I like loved school. I was like into school. I used to do my sister's homework before I went to school. I got like put in school early. I was like ducks of my class, but like I was also like a little bit of a shit. And that I like, I guess like I liked pranks and like um, no one else was really like into the kind of music that I was into. So I had like one friend, we played in a band and I feel like we were kind of like kind of annoying at the same <laughs> at the same time as being like very good at our schoolwork. I can't believe <laughs> you found someone to like play in a band with in a class, a high school class of 12 kids. Yeah, and whom I'm still very good friends with. She lives in Scotland now, Kimberly. Um, but yeah, like my best friend growing up, and still, it's yeah, it's funny that out of yeah ten ten people, you can find someone who's kind of like yeah, you know, your your soulmate growing up. Um, and we're still in touch. I still see her whenever I'm over in England and stuff like that. But yeah, and um, what was your well? First, I guess. Um, what, like, was your household kind of musical or creative growing up? Like, how did you even get interested or exposed to music? Um, my parents aren't musicians or like musical, I guess my dad played a little bit of guitar and I mean like a little bit of guitar, like the same three songs. Um, but my mom, I think my mom always had this thing where she's like, you know, we live in this tiny town, but I want my kids to be cultured and like experience culture. Um, and so she, I was like pretty great at getting us into like piano lessons from like an early age. Um, and I think that's kind of how it like started. I didn't love piano. Um, it was just something that I had to do. And I think, like, as that went on and I started, like, you know, figuring out an identity and, like, listening to music that was, like, not just what was, like, being fed to me on the TV. Um, I wanted to play guitar and I told I – th- I remember, like, telling my dad, I was, like, I don't want to do piano lessons anymore. And he was, like, really upset. Yeah. Um, and he, But I was, like, but I want to play guitar. And he's, like, well, you can only give up piano if you play guitar that's the only way that you're allowed to not do piano lessons anymore. Um, so yeah. So then, and there was no guitar teacher, so I had to teach myself guitar and yeah, I guess like they were always like, I, I, we started a band when I was like 14, 15. I went on tour when I was like 15. You I got kicked out of my, on tour at 15. We just, cause we live so far away from everywhere. It was like nine hours to the next, like to the city. Yeah. Uh, you had to play like all these other country towns to like make money or at least to play to different people that weren't the same hundred people at your last show or, you know, however many. Uh, so we would like do like this, like little regional tours when I was like, yeah, 15, 16. I don't know how my mother let me do that. I think it's because I was so well behaved mm. as a child that she was like, yeah, what's she going to do? She go on tour and go to bed early. Is that what you did? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> or did you like, la- like lash out and 
No, not really. I mean, like, roll at 14. (laughs) No, no. I was, like, not really into, like, drinking or, like, you know, drugs or, like, anything like that as a teen. I think I was, like, all I know about this is this looks, like, bad for your life. Um, So I was, like, I mean, I drank and stuff sometimes. But, like, yeah, I, I didn't. I wouldn't say that I was like rebellious in any respect. Um, I just liked, yeah. I mean, I liked running amok with my friends, but that was mostly like at the detriment of other people, not ourselves. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, we would like go do tour, like, you know, drive like four hours and like go play a show somewhere or an hour or two to the next town and like they would give you a hotel room and like dinner plus pay you and all this and like the gigs were pretty well paid but that's like not like touring in the united states when you're no. a little it's not like touring in australia re- either oh, really. no. no i guess like because we were playing like covers and originals and you know they'd be like play three more acdc songs and we'll give you an extra 200 dollars and a bottle of jack daniels and you're like all right yeah wait yeah. And what was the name of that band this is your first band yeah, um, it was Probably called good. Nutmeg. Wait, what was it? Nutmeg. Nutmeg? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. 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 Really- Kimberly was in that band, my friend Kimberly <laughs> yeah. and I. Um, and some a horrible ex-boyfriend. And uh, I think it was like my sister's boyfriend at the time played drums. Um, but yeah, so Kimberly and I had this band called Nutmeg. She played guitar, I played bass. Um, okay, how did you go from because your dad said you can only quit playing piano if you play guitar, and then were you a bass player just because like you guys needed a bass player, or I was the worst guitarist out of the the three three of us mm-hmm. on guitars in the band, and they're like, well, we need a bass player, and you're the worst. So. <laughs> So you have to play bass. And I was like, what? Um, but I was like, oh, you guys are right. <laughs> they were right. They were right. Um, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. I was like, actually, you know what? All the bands that I listen to, uh, the bass player is the coolest person in that band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why not? So jokes on them. Um, your shirt, like Sonic Youth. Okay. Hippies. Kim Deal, the bass player. Kim Deal, Melissa After Moore, you know. Um, yeah, just everything that I was listening to. I was like, either the, the only woman in the band was a bass player or um, or they were just the coolest person. Yeah. It just looked cool. I was like, I don't know, I didn't, I wasn't the type of person that wanted to be a, a front person per se. That was too much attention for me. Yeah. I didn't want that kind of attention. I was happy to be on stage and this seemed like a good fit. Um, how did you get so good at bass? Like, are you, so, cause I know you had piano lessons, taught yourself guitar. Did you ever take bass lessons or like, I assume that you're, that you like know music theory and stuff, which I do not know. I don't know if that's true or not, but you can tell like, you're just really good. Like to watch you, you're just a very good bass player. How did that happen? I did not get bass lessons until I was, like, in my mid-20s, I think. Early mid-20s. I had some guitar lessons. I had a great guitar teacher for one year. His name was James Brown. When I 
I moved to the city for one year. My parents moved there and then moved back for the final year of high school, which was like devastating. Um, and, then, and another story, but I had a, a guitar teacher named James Brown, who was great. And that school actually had a music theory element to their school. Our school in the country did not. You just played covers and that was kind of it. And so I went from that and playing live to having to go to like a high school, a private school that had music theory that I had to pass an exam for having never done it. So I had a tutor and I studied, you know, I would go to my tutor every week and study really hard because obviously I loved school and I was a nerd. Um, and I had a guitar teacher that I would see every week as part of school. And he was really great. I think that year kind of like really kind of set a good foundation. I was still crap in a lot. I bet I was playing guitar again. I'd stopped playing bass at this point. Um, and then when I left school, uh, I guess one of the friends that I had made at that new high school, um, Milton, uh, we both, uh, we loved Sonic Youth and like we loved the Melvins and like all of that. And he was kind of like my Kimberly of the city where we were like, okay, well, we've like, we've left school, like we should start a band. And he was like an amazing guitarist um, and a great songwriter and, uh we made a I guess we had a, like a three piece uh called the Notorious Daughters and I started playing bass in that and then had like some bass lessons here and there from random friends and um I went to music school for six months like college or it's called TAFE in Australia which is like kind of like community college I guess it's like in like trade school almost um and I did that because that was the only way you could not you had to study jazz and go to university or you could do this and this was like contemporary and I was like well I don't want to study jazz and you know I didn't grow up with music theory so I don't even think I could get in if I tried um and so I did that while playing I guess in bands or after I played in bands I can't really remember the timeline and, um, yeah, and I think that I had an amazing bass teacher there, Kane Jones, who still teaches there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really that really changed a lot for me. I, I had, like, decided that I wanted to be better and I would, you know, study and then I would come home and I would, like, spend five hours literally in my garage and not take a bathroom break or anything and just be like, you're in here playing. And that's peeing yourself. Pardon? And peeing yourself. And peeing yourself. Yeah. And you just, and that's the only way you're going to get good. Yeah. Is if you put in the time. And I guess, I don't know, but I like, I don't think I'm good. I think I can do the job, but, um, but I think that changed a lot for me from like playing in punk bands to like, uh, maybe taking it a little bit more seriously mm. yeah so you keep mentioning that you like played in a lot of bands notorious daughters is a cool name it was I think that's a cool there's, name there's a film called notorious daughters of fanny hill 
I can't remember if it's a porn or <laughs> something, but or like it's it's there's some it's some kind of crazy film. Yeah. And Milton thought it was a great idea for a band name, and I was like, "Sounds great, let's yeah. let's do it." So yeah, so that was that was the band that was like I guess most of my twenties. Okay, wait, how old are you? Because I thought you were like twenty five. Let's say I'm twenty five. <laughs> are you even thirty though? Oh yeah, you are. Oh, I thought yeah. you were super young. I was like, might be the youngest person I've ever interviewed. Well, I think you still are the youngest person I've interviewed for this project. Oh, really? No, I'm 89. So I'm uh, 31, 32 this year. Oh, okay. When I said 30, you're like, Psh, that's pretty close. To that was like last year. <laughs> um, I've had a lot of work done though. So, you know. Yeah. Um, you look great. I mean, it's very, yeah. Like the Botox is doing its job. So anything I need, like the opposite of Botox. Um, <laughs> I, need- <laughs> I keep using that app on Instagram and I usually like make fun of people. It's like the, wow. it's like a plastic surgery app. Oh, the, the filter. Like it does your lips and yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I post, I'm like very annoying and kind of like an old person when it comes to apps. If I like it, I'll just like make videos of myself with like kitten ears for fucking two weeks or something but this app I thought I didn't like plastic surgery and I'm like I made my whole family do it I was like I look amazing like I don't know if I had a lot of money if I would do all of this because I think I think I look cool like would it even end up looking like this at the end of it yeah like I probably would now that the app exists yeah Um, all right so what I was wondering was was your intention to like be in a band or because it, I could be wrong, but it's you're kind of like a session musician now, right? Like you don't have a main band; you get hired to do jobs and mm-hmm. you go in and do the job. Is that what you wanted to do, or did you initially want to like be in a band and try to do the music industry thing? I I always wanted to be. I always knew I wanted to be in a band. But everyone's like, you can't be in a band. That's not a job. Um, and then I got some normie jobs. And I used to work in, like, festival management as my, like, normie job. And so the other side of the music industry um, for a long time and, like, at labels and booking agents and um, stuff like that, management companies. Like, I mean, you name it, I've probably absolutely done it. Uh, and then I was playing in a lot of bands at once. I think I was in like five bands at once before I moved to America and something like that. And I had like, I think three or four that I was like regularly in. Um, I would have to like think about, write them down to get a number. But I was like, I don't, one, I was in Adelaide and it's like a smaller city. So touring in Australia is not like, touring here or touring in Europe there's just so much space um and not a lot of people and not a lot of cities that you can play so like the landscape is different and I was like okay well playing in a band and expecting a band to take off is really hard um and chances are slim uh and no one ever seemed to like want it 
as much as I wanted it in that respect like I would I would be like if you said move into a house and let's play all day every day you know forever I'd be like great let's do it um but no one else was like you know people were like late rehearsals people you know people want families they want kids they want to you know people have other priorities which are totally fine and I was like I don't have any priorities I'm from some tiny ass town when you know nothing ever happened I don't I, I don't aspire to that which and then and I never like wanted that and so I was like I gotta I gotta get out and I wanted to move to LA for a long time um and but I was like visas are really hard and uh the money that it costs for those things as well as like coming over here and um, not really knowing anyone and then trying to make it work when you didn't go to jazz school and trying to be a session musician. And that was really daunting for a long time. Um, And then I had some really, uh, I guess like traumatic things happen in my life that kind of like put things on hold or like maybe reassess things. And then I was like, okay, well, I think it was two singers out of three bands were having children. And I was like, well, we're not going to tour. So you either decide whether you're going to be in the music industry or if you're going to be a bass player. Mm -hmm. And I had a great um, business mentor through like this uh, free government program (laughs) that I was a part of. Um, because I've like sat on grant panels and stuff, which I'm sure you know a lot about probably as well, where I was just like always like looking for opportunities. And she was a photographer and she was like, look, I'm going to speak to you as an artist and not as your business mentor. And she was like, you can come back and work in the industry anytime you want. You know, it doesn't have like an age on it for you in the same way that touring does. And if touring is all you want to do and you say that it is, then go do that. Go do that now. Go do that and dedicate all your time to that. And then if you want to later, go back to your career as a music industry personnel. And, and so wait, I was like, what do you mean by um, music industry personnel? Well, like uh, working in labels and stuff like that, like a desk job music. Okay. Because that's what I was doing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm moving. And when did you move to LA? Like how, how old were you when you moved out? I think it was 2018. Okay. So not that long. Yeah. What's that? Four years, three years, three years. Um, Yeah. Like June 1st, I think uh, I I landed, but I'd been coming to LA. I think I'd been to like LA like seven times before that or six, yeah, six or seven times just to be like, is this what I want to do? Um, and yeah, and then I was just like, all right, bye. Yeah, like what did you do when you got here? Did you have any contacts? Did you have any like friends or I mean, what was that transition like? That sounds scary. Um, I had come over here and attended Rock and Roll Camp for Girls LA. Um, which was so much fun. Uh 
And I think I ended up staying for like two two months. I can't even remember. And I made like a you know some really great friends out of that. I had you know you're teaching girls how to write songs. It's like a leadership um, self esteem camp really um, through music. And and I had known I like dated someone who used to live here, and I like knew like one of their buddies, and that was kind of it. Um, <laughs> So I had, like, my rock camp girls and then, like, one kind of, like, one friend that I kind of knew here. Yeah. And, yeah, and then I I think with the day that I got back from rock camp in Australia, I got a lawyer and started the visa thing and worked five jobs, like, five jobs at once and just saved. And, yeah, and then I think within, like, six months got on a plane and then, yeah, and then landed and then was like, fuck, <laughs> what do I do? Um, yeah, I don't know. And then, I yeah, I don't think I played a gig for the first six months I was here. What? Yeah, because it was mostly just trying to get to know people and, like, you know, all of that stuff. And then in that, in that first year and a bit, I think I played in 32 bands or something. Do you remember what your first, what the first like gig was that you got? I think my, the first gig that I played here was with my friend um, Tipper, who's from Omaha. Um, And it was part of rock camp. Um, So lovely. She had this great band called Color TV. Uh, And it's kind of like the cars. I love the cars. And we played a gig at, um I think it was at lot one and ham and eggs or something there were like two gigs in like a week and that was one of the I think one of the first shows that I had kind of played here mm-hmm. yeah which was fun I mean yeah. I love I love her music so I don't think I've played with her since I mean she's an actor she's always pretty busy but um yeah I think that was the first gig that I played when she just said she's an actor I'm like, it's like everyone I know from LA yeah. plays in a band like also is is like in the industry somehow like screenwriter mm-hmm. filmmaker actor um yeah yeah I remember when I visited I was like asked my friends what like why are there so many people just like out during the day or like at coffee shops and they were like no one has a real job <laughs> like, so they all like work on screenplays or like probably everyone you saw at that coffee shop is like a screenwriter or something yeah so no one in LA has a real job sometimes and I'm like if you can't work out how someone pays their rent there aren't the answer to that is a trust fund (laughs) well that's what I realized too is I'm like wow these a lot of people are making money writing screenplays nope yeah no yeah I uh I have, uh, well, me and my friend Candace, the drummer for Alice Bags, man, I don't think she, she'll mind if I call her out, but um, we're like not trust fund people at all. And so I think we've both dated like that kind of hipster trust fundy woman. Like she is also uh-huh. gay. So I had a, I dated, I also dated someone in LA, which is why I rolled my eyes when you said that you dated someone in LA. I'm like, I just think it's always a bad idea. But uh, it turned out she was one of those trust fund people. And so, like, do you know the, the, like, aesthetic, too? It's, like, all white, 
like mid-century modern. Not that I dislike, but it's very like particular with mm-hmm. like a succulent plant. On, on like yeah. I will hide my mid-century modern coffee table. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not like because I almost no. I know what you're talking but about. You know what, and there's like like two pictures in like wooden frames, and so it took six months for her to admit to me that because she also like pretended to be poor. You know, she's like, oh, yeah, I don't have do. money. Like, I can't afford this. And then she told me that she does actually have a lot of money. And both her parents were like corporate lawyers for Coca Cola or something. <laughs> it's like, the thing about that is, it's like, own it. If my parents were like working on some Coca Cola money, I'd be like, hell yeah. This is, I know, I'd take it too. Like this. Yeah. But I'm like, why do you, like, why just say it? Like, yeah. To pretend to be poor. It was like, Jesus Christ. Moving here was the first time I had people kind of like be weird. You know, like no one wants to tell you that they're a server. That everyone's like, I'm a singer. This is all I do. And I'm like, I play for you. I know how much you pay me. So I could assume how much you're making. And I know, you know, I know that that's not how you're paying rent. And then I think when I moved here, I was just like, yeah, I'm like some dumb kid from Australia. Yeah. And- <laughs> And I don't, you know, and I don't have money and I don't come from money. And people were like, what? You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> and people were like, you're so honest. Like, you're so real. And I was like, what? Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like I never, I always feel very weird when I go to LA. Like, I like it. I like the creative part. Uh-huh. I love going to shows. But I just, I can't explain it. It takes like three days for me to just feel like a piece of shit. <laughs> like being around all those people and I'm like I need to go back to the woods where I come from <laughs> yeah it's a I always had this thing where it's like LA is like disruptive mm. constantly where like it's it's always it's always like disturbing the water for you so that there it's hard to be calm I think and in a way that's great because you you're not like uh content but yeah. otherwise not great for mental health but um it's weird because there's like there's some amazing people here there's some of you know the nicest most down-to-earth you know supportive people here and then it's it's also like this mix of like people like well yeah but how do you know this person and you're like what do you mean we're friends and like yeah but how do you, like who are you though like can can i get anything out of you at the moment like they realize they can't because yeah. you know you're just some dumb kid from Australia. They're like, "All right, bye." Like, like done talking to you, yeah. and you're like, "Oh wow, okay." Like, good luck. Burbank. Yeah, but I think when you when you first come here, if you don't have a support network, yeah. um, I think that can be like really hard. That was really hard for me. Is just realizing that people, are, yeah, people have their own intentions for you. Or, you know, as long as you're not doing better than them, then you can be friends. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like competitiveness. Yeah, which I love. I'm so competitive. I'm so competitive. But I think there's like there's a difference between being competitive and being like supportive as well. Like some people are like, you know, you can be competitive, but I'm only in competition with myself. You know, I'm not in competition with anybody else. And people love to pit women against one another. Um, 
And I'm like, like, oh, like she's your competition. And I was like, we have competition. Yeah. It's like, you know, we don't have the same life experiences. But, you know, if that, if seeing other people being great is, you know, motivation for me to work harder, then great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I just thought of this, but uh, are your, is your family, like, supportive of your uh, – I'm just curious of your life, your career, yeah, of your art. They they are now more than they ever were. Um, I think I got into, like, neuroscience at university. I got, like, a great university score, and I got into, like, medical science, neuroscience, and I skipped out on that. Um, (laughs) and I did medical trials to fund me getting to America. And I remember that, like when I was like, mom, I'm doing medical trials for money. And she was like, please go back to university, please. She's like, you could do anything that you wanted. You could be a surgeon. You're so smart. You could do anything you wanted. And I was like, I know I could, but I don't want to, um, but when I moved, I think they they realized that, like, this was, like, Im- Im- really important for me and that it was going to be something that I was going to work hard at. And they were super supportive um, of me coming over here. And, you know, I think they made a point to to verbalize that to me as well, which was, like, great. And, yeah, and, like, now that, you know, things are doing a little bit better, um, yeah. They, they love – I mean, they love music, so yeah. my dad is a huge fan, um, which is great. So, yeah, no, they're, they're super supportive, and I think that's that makes it easier being away from them so so much. Yeah. Um, oh, I remember what, what I wanted to ask you. So you, you had said – and I ask everybody about this. There's – like, I know it's gendered, but um, I'm just genuinely curious – and if I talk to male musicians, I like ask them the same questions. I'm nosy. I'm a Gemini. I just like to know shit. Um, but so you said that uh, when you decided to like come to LA, that a bunch of people and bands that you played with were like getting married and having children and how that to you was not like conducive to being in a band or being in the music industry. Um mm-hmm. So do you feel like for yourself, number one, did you ever want any of that? Like marriage, children, the sort of like normal, like hetero thing. And number two, do you think that that's possible to have both and to like be a bass player in a touring band? I never wanted those things. Uh, like, I feel like, you know, people are like, oh, you know, when I was, like, literally to, like, think about my wedding dress. My parents aren't married. I will preface that. My parents aren't married. They're together. They're in love. It's disgusting. Um, <laughs> you know, they deeply care about each other. Like, uh, and, I, you know, you, you watch, like, your friend's parents or, like, you know, people, you know, get divorced. And I think they set, like, a great example that, like, you that you didn't need a conventional relationship and that as long as it worked for, you know, for the two of you, then then that's kind of all you needed. Um, and maybe that formed, like, my thoughts around marriage and stuff. Like, I never wanted to get married and I never really wanted kids. Um, 
and like you know i mean i'm getting older now but like uh so now yeah so old. Well, like right i'm up. not like <laughs> I'm not 21, you know, like to the point where you have to start thinking about, well, if you, if you want to try and conceive a child, um, unfortunately for women, there is a time limit on that. Uh, I think now um, I'm thinking about it a little bit differently. I mean, I'm open to both of those possibilities. Uh, Should the right person um, also be open to those possibilities? Uh, But I don't, you know, I don't think you need, you know, what is marriage? Like you wear a, a weird ring on your hand that symbolizes that you own each other. I don't know. But, uh, but you know, I would Your love dad gives you to a new person. Yeah. It's like my parents <laughs> threatened me with arranged marriage to like the other Greek kid in, yeah. in town. So I think maybe that traumatized yeah. me as well. I was like, no, um, but so you're I not mean, like anti relationship. You just don't think. No, I love being in relationship. You do like it. I'm always, I'm always in a relationship. Yeah. No, I love being in. I like you're telling this to your wife, which is inappropriate. Some might it's say not a relationship. <laughs> um, but like, I like the idea of a team. I mean, a band is a t- in a way. A band is a team. I love, I love Michael Jordan. I love like that. You know, Chicago Bulls. I love. I watched Last Dance. I cried. I associate with that mentality so much, where it's like you're a team and you have you know a common goal that you you're that you're working towards. And tour is that you know, you're a bunch of essentially sometimes strangers thrown in a bus or a van, um, or a Prius. Prius. Sorry, thrown in a Prius. Uh, you're in a hatchback driving around to play a show. And that's the goal, you know, to, is to, like, execute that goal to the best of your ability and maybe have fun along the way. Um, but it's the camaraderie. And I, a relationship is that in a lot of ways where it's like you have a teammate. I don't really like to be by myself a lot. Like, not you know, I can be, but, like, I think you have more fun with other people um in the same way that you do you know in a band rather than maybe being a singer songwriter I don't know I've never been one but um yeah like I like relationships I think that you can have healthy ones on tour um I've definitely tried uh you know um but I think you know you have to you have to find a teammate that like wants the same things and is supportive of like your artwork and stuff and I mean that can be hard finding that I've definitely dated people that I've dated bass players and that maybe sometimes doesn't work out because you're doing the same thing um just I'm just imagining like bass offs (laughs) no it was like complete opposite where like it was almost as if I didn't play bass because, like, you know, well, bass is what I do. Um, jokes on them. Uh, but, yeah, like, I definitely – I think, like, when you're with someone creative, like, my partner now is, like, you know, in the arts. Uh, and I think, like, that's good because you both realise that, like, you're you have this, like, schedule that isn't Monday to Friday and, you know, and if you get – on an audition or a session and you say that 
you know, you were going to hang out, like things change. Um, so it's, you know, someone who has like patience and also like determination within their own career that they're okay with things not always going to plan, yeah. I guess. That's really interesting too, that you said that you're like, um, cause I'm, I'm also very type A, like, mm-hmm. I think I come across as, um, you know, people will describe me as like fun and, uh, but I have, I have a very, people never describe me as fun. <laughs> Shut up. Are you serious? I wouldn't say, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't say you that. Look like your social media presence, which I understand is not reality. Um, and like being a Sagittarius, I would imagine that you don't have a problem being spontaneous. I like being spontaneous, but I, I don't know. I would, I always wonder, I'm like, I don't know. Am I fun? I don't know if I'm fun. <laughs> I don't think I'm, I'm fun. I, I, I think I'm like funny. So I yeah. that people are like, Oh, you're fun. Oh, she's fun. But, uh, I find my, I am like very regimented about like my schedule and I love to work. Like I really genuinely like what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm, like super strict about my time and how I spend it. Oh my God. Tanya. I know. Is that is what it's like when doves cry? Um, yeah. No, yeah. That's, that's what I was getting from you. And I don't, I really don't like talk to a lot of people who, f- who feel that way about, um, about just generally their work. Like you, mm-hmm. you have to really love what you do and then it's not working so much, but I don't know. It's yeah. I don't know what my point was, but I was just, I was thinking about because you're a Sagittarius, you're like supposed to be spontaneous and fun, but you're also type A. So you're kind yeah. of like an enigma. I joked when I started like dating the person that I, that I am dating um, <laughs> where I was like, I'm sending you a Google calendar invite and this isn't a joke. Like, And he was this- fine with it. He was like, okay. Yeah. He has access to my Google calendar now. Okay, um, what I shouldn't be um, endorsing your relationship. I should be more <laughs> jealous, but I'm telling like that. I could do a relationship if I had a person who would accept a Google calendar or be like, can we schedule the time that we're going <laughs> that we're going to spend together in advance so I can like do what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> would be happy. He, he, he's, you'd love him. He's lovely. Um, but yeah, I'm always like, and like, he'll be like, oh, okay. So like, I saw that, you know, you're working until like eight on Wednesday. And I was like, oh, you looked at the Google calendar. And I was like, look, I don't want to pretend like I didn't really get into you just telling me that. I love that you check it. Um, please check it. Uh, yeah. And, but you know, like we, we both like, we're both freelance. So I'm like, wait, when do you have this thing? All right. So like, if we don't make time to see each other and we just assumed that the other person was free, I think it might be hard. Yeah. And also I'm like, I want to spend every waking moment with you. Um, <laughs> when are you free? <laughs> um, all right. So I've like, I'm always digressing, but I want to know um, again, like I said, since I don't really know much about how your career since you've moved to LA has progressed. Mm-hmm. I know the big names that you have played bass for, which is like pretty impressive when I saw you on stage with uh, Shirley and Fiona Apple. Yeah. And then I saw you uh, touring with Kim Gordon. 
um, just what have been some, what has been your like trajectory to the point that you're at now? Like a brief history? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I landed, I landed and I love working like you love working. Um, because if I'm not working, I have an existential crisis about death. Um, <laughs> which I'm sure, I don't know if you're like this, but I feel like that's where the organization and the time management comes from where I'm like, these are minutes I'm never getting back. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, but I experienced a lot of death, uh, in my life. Like, go into the, um, and you don't have to, but are those, you mentioned traumatic life experiences that happened before. You came to um, LA, so mm-hmm. is that you've had like death, deaths of people close to you, or? Yeah, I think two of my two of my closest friends. So my my cousin growing up, uh, Jesse, who it was like Kimberly, Jesse, and I. That was it. It was like you know the Rat Pack, um, and uh, I can't even remember what order it is anymore of like yeah. how things happened, but I was like. I, I had a, I had a really good friend that I worked with in bars and stuff like that because I you know you work hospitality like most decent humans do, um, and I was going like through a weird time in my life. I think I, my boyfriend and I of like six years had like broken up and whatever. And my friend Bridget was like, you know, move in with me. My housemates away for like I don't know three months or something to figure out what you're doing. And uh, I was like, okay. And I was working this like bullshit government job, like event managing for like the city council. Um, And I got like, I was supposed to like see her. I was supposed to move in on a Thursday. And I think it was like a Tuesday or a Sunday. And she had like 10. I was saying it's like this like long story, but like I was staying with my sister who lives like one street over. And then like, I got a text. Well, I hadn't heard from her. No, she had texted me and been like, Hey, like I'm in hospital. Like I attempted to take my life again. And I was like, you know, are you okay? What's going on? Blah, blah, you know, do you need anything? And I was supposed to be moving in with her on like a Thursday and she's like, no, I'm fine. I'll call you tomorrow or, you know, uh, about moving in. And, you know, tomorrow came and I didn't hear anything and she was not that kind of person that you wouldn't hear from her. Um, she's like very mothering, caring personality and didn't hear from her. And I, I remember like calling another friend and being like, you know, have you heard from Bridget? And she's like, No. You know, I was like, okay. And I think as I got off that phone, I had like a missed, a missed call on my phone from like Constable Blah. Yeah. And he was like, hey, um, just calling about your friend Bridget. And I was like, what? And, you know, you get a phone call and you're like, you don't think anything. You're just like, what the hell? Like, that's weird. And you call, and I called them back and I was like, hey. And they're like, hey, where are you right now? I was like, I'm at work why and they're like well can we come and talk to you and I was like yeah why and they're like about your friend Bridget and I was like what about her and they're like oh you don't know and I was like no what and they're like well, she committed suicide 
last night. And I was like, what? I was like, no, I don't know. And so they came around. I was like two streets over from a police station. They came over and they're like, you know, you were the one of the last people to see her or like talk to her. So like, we need to like speak to you basically. And that was like really, that was like a pretty devastating as you could imagine time in my life. We were like pretty close and, you know, to know that someone was like struggling with those kinds of things and eventually, you know, like succumbing to depression um and you're always like you know is there something I could have done she was like super supportive of my music career and like I had wanted to move at that point and she was very supportive about that um and then I think within six months like while I was going through the grief of that my best friend growing up my cousin Jesse whom I mean like we were like kind of inseparable uh took her life and I was like, well, what next? Yeah. Really? Like, it was just kind of like one after the other kind of thing. And I ended up losing another friend to suicide and then another friend to kind of like cancer, I think, within two, three years of each other. Like one of, yeah. with yeah. You could just kind of lump them in, I guess, because it was like then like, you know, a, a close friend who was kind of like a brother who used to live with us growing up committed suicide as well and – it was just like there was so much death happening where like these people were unrelated from one another and no one I mean, no one was like super empathetic about it. And I felt sometimes, you know, because everyone's like, well, what's wrong with your friends? I was like, what? It's like nothing. These people are unrelated. Like mental health is real and, and an issue and stuff like that. But I was like, damn, like, you know, either I stay and I'm so unhappy living, you know, I was unhappy living in this place. Like I hated living there. And I was like, I need a life is so short. Life is so fleeting. You never know what's going to happen. And I was like, I need to do those things that I keep saying I'm going to do or want to do. And then just maybe too scared to do. Mm. So, so that was like, that, that makes, was really the push. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense now. Why you, like made the move when you did and mm-hmm. um it's making me think like my like my experience with uh my addiction like I've been sober for 14 years but attempted suicide like I've been in that mm-hmm. um and so I don't think of my like you just said that your need to work also like if you stop working the existential like you know, I was like, oh my God, maybe I do identify with that, but I just never really thought about it that way because I do also like you experienced it um, because you've had, you had all these people who are really close to you. And I think suicide is different than just people dying um, naturally yeah. or act- like it's someone made a choice to take themselves off yeah. this earth. And that is like, yeah. I'm afraid of death. <laughs> so yeah. that's like, in my mind, that's like, wow, imagine yeah. imagine what place you must be in yeah. to kick a chair out from underneath yourself. Yeah. No, I always say that too, but to make that choice of like, I hate where I am so much that mm-hmm. I'm willing to just like, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm going to do it. And that's also why I can't stand 
people like whoever said that to you oh what kind of friends do you have or people yeah. who like it's people that are naive you know they don't they've had they haven't had to deal with it themselves thank god like and so they don't they don't get it but yeah. yeah I think it comes you know and you you just you wrestle with your mortality when you're idle I think yeah at least I do I, I always love do. sitting though like some people love doing nothing just like, I wish yeah, it's I a problem <laughs> I wish <laughs> I think it takes practice but I'm just not very good at it so I like sleeping um yeah. I love sleeping or well, like you know, I don't, I don't mind watching like some. Dreaming when you sleep, die. do you have cool dreams? Like I'm always there's a lot of shit happening in my dreams. Nightmares. I have nightmares. <laughs> I had like years where I would just it was I would dream that I was dying constantly. We need to work well, like, this together. Hmm? We need to work through this together. This death that you have because you're you're okay. Yeah, or like sleep paralysis. But this was the thing I was like, I think I feel fine, but get these dreams. I think because I sleep really warm, like I'm quite a, a warm body, as anyone that had to sleep next to me would know. Um, and when I'm like overheated, I have nightmares. So I think it, I think that's just why. I don't think it means anything, but um, that's nice yeah. that you're able to rationalize it that way. Yeah, like, oh, <laughs> someone's chasing me again. um oh yeah sorry but so i i wanted to i didn't know if you wanted to talk about that but i was curious so thank you for um sharing that um but then i guess you were talking about like the uh progression to where you're at now just you know some like memorable memorable um gigs that you've had like how how you made it to the point where kim gordon was like i want you to play bass for me because (laughs) How awesome was that? Oh, I I still <laughs> pinch myself. Um, I am like very conscious that I didn't realize I was wearing a Sonic Ustra and I have a body head poster behind me. Oh, I um, can read it, but yeah, it's cute. But I don't, I guess I you know like I said like I I got here and I didn't know anyone and I was like okay well if you don't know anyone and I hate net you know what is networking but like I'm not a I wouldn't say like I'm a social person. I'm a shy person. Um, and I was like, well, the way to meet people and the whole reason why I love playing in bands anyway is because you're forced to be social and meet people. And usually you get to meet like-minded people. So I just, I played for anybody that asked anyone that almost anybody that asked me to play. I said, yes, I ended up playing for like 30 bands in a year. I was sure I was burnt the hell out. Um, I didn't even own a bass amp for a long time. Um, I think until Fender gave me one. Thank you, Fender. Uh, no, in, I mean, I did in Australia, but I sold everything when I moved here. And, uh, yeah, I, I just played with, you know, all these people and, and really tried to support, like, you know, friends and stuff like that as well. Um, you know, if I could get a friend on a gig, I'd try and get a friend on a gig. And I think when things kind of started to change, I like was playing with um, this artist Doparo, um, who you know makes amazing music, and she had hired this all-female band, which was cool because you know sometimes you're so used to just being the only female in a band, and uh, we went on like this tour. Um, 
I think it was just California. And uh, yeah, and the, the way that I ended up in that band was through a Facebook post, which is even more hilarious. But uh, long story short, um, the keyboard player who had produced her album um, was this uh, woman named Trudy uh, Kumar, who is still a great friend and an amazing composer, producer. Um, and we were, we were out and she, she just come from this classical background and she's like, you know, I've never really been on tour with everyone. And I was like, well, you know, you rip, what do you have to worry about? Um, and it was just a really fun time. And Shruti was like, oh, I'm doing this gig with this organization called Girl School, um, which was run by Anna Brook, another amazing, um, woman and a violin player and as and like creative she I think she wears so many hats uh you know where it's like female identifying acts and we're putting together this band um with Shelly Manson and I was like oh cool like who's playing bass she's like we don't have a bass player like it's strings and blah 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 but we have a real drummer and I was like you have a real drummer and no bass player and I was like oh <laughs> I'm like hmm Hmm. I was like, uh, well, hi. Hi. Um, I was like, you should let me play bass. Uh, and lo and behold, she did. Um, bless her. Uh, and I was the last person to get added to that lineup. Um, I can't even remember. I think I had like a week. We were on tour, so I couldn't learn the songs or anything. And I, I can't even remember how long I had to learn those songs, but it was not a long time. Um, I think it was like days and so got off that tour um played that show with Shirley and uh Fiona who who came up and, and did a song with us and it was just a great time it was you know a lot of the same people from rock and roll camp for girls LA um and then from that uh I had just been like playing other gigs around town like I was playing with Kate Clover <laughs> Um, who's like a great artist, uh, was kind of like in that band. And like, you know, I had played with like Jenny V who, um, is the bass player for, uh, Eagles of Death Metal and, you know, Courtney Love and people like that. And, you know, I was just starting to play with like people where I like, I had like, I had heard their music before, you know, and, and then I guess like I was ran into Death Valley Girls Aww. randomly at I think Patty Shermel was doing a, a book reading, um, and Patty Shermel was involved with Rock Camp for Girls LA as well. So um, we went to go hear like her talk about like her new book, which is a great book. Um, hit so hard, like I, I loved reading it. And yeah, I ran into Bonnie and Larry, and Bonnie was like, "You smell amazing," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, thank you." Um, and she's like, "Bonnie from Death Valley Girls," and I was like, "I know who Death Valley Girls are." You know, like, what am I, an idiot? Um, and we got pizza after the talk, and yeah, and I was just like, you know. I'm sure I was probably like, you ever need a bass player? Um, then, because I had Mona 
uh, who runs Rock and Roll Camp for Girls LA. Uh, she's one of the co-founders. When I was like, I'm moving, do you have any, you have any advice? And she, when I pulled her up about this, she didn't remember telling me this, but she was like, just let people know that you want to play with them. You know, let people know that you like their music, that you, you know, that you want to be around with them, that you want to play with them. Just do that. And I was like, oh yeah. And so I did that. And I was like, I want to play with you guys. Like, if you ever need someone, call me. And Bonnie and Larry called me and like, do you want to play with us? We have this show or two, a couple shows. And I was like, absolutely, I do. Sounds like so much fun. We had so much fun. Um, we were the band, and, and I only just remembered this. You'll love this. We were the band uh, in this um, lesbian vampire movie uh, where I think the lead is a transgender woman who uh yeah hangs out with these like lesbian vampires where like the rule is like you know you only bite you don't turn men into vampires kind of thing and we were the band playing at the show that they go and hang out at it's called bit b-i-t um okay i think it just came out which is funny because this was like oh my god i'm so excited years ago but i got a text message from my friend uh Reese and and he was like hey you like you do you have you know do you have plans for the summer and like the rest of the year and I was like oh I have maybe some things but you know nothing really confirmed why and he's like well this artist Phoebe Bridges needs a bass player and I was like oh and I had been I had heard of her once through someone else previously and had listened to um some of her music and but I didn't know really anything about her and I was like okay yeah absolutely like hook me up and I got the call I think to to audition for her when I was on stage with the with the lesbian vampire movie um which is very fitting uh and yeah I had to learn two songs in less than 12 hours and turned up the next, I didn't make the next day of shooting, turned up the next day for, to play with her and Marshall, the drummer. Mm. And they were leaving in four days to go on tour. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. And so I got a call to say that I had the gig and I was like, great. I now have four days to learn like, 12 songs and some harmonies um, and get in a van and drive from LA to New York <laughs> or like Eau Claire. I think I, one of our first shows were so, yeah. And I couldn't play with their belly girls anymore, which was sad, but um, yeah. So I, I went on tour having never really met any of them uh, and yeah, sat in a van for two, three days driving that's across. a good way to get to know people yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. how do you get along like she seems like she has a good you guys have similar senses of humor yeah well I don't think she was in the van because she had to be in Eau Claire earlier oh, right for some programming thing but um I mean after that we definitely spent a lot of time in that van together uh but everyone in that band is so lovely and so nice and hilarious so yeah it was like 
it was definitely an experience and that I feel like that tour turned into months that was like I feel like that was the next six months of my life it was a long I felt like a long tour and I hadn't seen much of America before then so that was like me seeing America was like playing these like you know Eau Claire and like these weird little shows in Idaho um yeah and and then did that which was like kind of crazy that I guess like some of it had all come down to like a Facebook post really in a lot of ways but yeah and then yeah played with Phoebe still play with Phoebe um and you know all the other bands that she has like Boy Genius I got to play um in that band and Better Oblivion Community Center I got to play in that band which is great because you know they're all different but all super fun and I love the music and yeah so that has been a lot of my time since and um I guess I just I didn't know what I was doing I think I was going out to brunch one day um and I got a random text message saying hey do you want to play bass for Kim Gordon and I was like uh duh yeah who was it who sent that her MD, her MD had got my number from my lovely pal Reese, yeah. um, who put me on the Phoebe Phoebe tour. Um, See networking, yeah. pardon? It's seen networking, and I think it's just like when someone sees that you're right for a part. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's. I think that's something that I have learned, or at least come to like learn. Uh, and appreciate is like I'm not I don't have to be I mean I can try and be like the best bass bass player but like I'm not going to be the best bass player in LA I didn't go to jazz school like I didn't start playing bass when I was five I'm not a child prodigy I can work really hard now with you know the skill set that I have um but I'm not going to like get put forward for like you know jazz shows at the jazz club or like because I couldn't do it but like uh but like you know like i i've been lucky enough to play with only artists whose music i like and somehow through that i guess you know people are like well this other person needs someone who does exactly this and this is exactly what you do so it's been the right the right fit for the job i think has like been my saving grace through all of this and like and you know I think is like a testament like sometimes everyone grapples with imposter syndrome and feeling like they're not good enough and it's like you don't have to be the best yeah you have to also everybody feels like that and yeah everybody feels like that you know like I don't know so yeah I mean I still work hard because I want to I want to be the best I can be but yeah I think it was just like if people can see that you're doing something and you're reliable and like they can rely on you to do a job like that's one that's always just been a huge part of my personality is to be a reliable person because I expect that from other people so and I think people respect that especially in a touring situation you know artists have so much more important things to think about than whether their bass player is turning up and knowing the songs yeah so you better turn up and know the songs but you'd be surprised you know of how some people conduct themselves but I pride myself on on if I say I'm going to do something then I do it Mm -hmm. so that at least you know people can 
be chill and, you know, focus on their own music or singing or songwriting or creating or whatever it is. So thankfully, and also, you know, Reese, what would I do without him? Um, that, that people, I don't know if they're like, if you need a, if you need a bass player that kind of does this, Emily Ramses, why not? You want to get on a business. $9.95, you can get a discount. No. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so I just have a few um, closing questions, but the first one, which I have never asked anybody else before, wow. is what the fuck is David Crosby's problem? No. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm already ever – I love Twitter, I will say that. The thing about this, see, this is I love Phoebe. The thing about the people I think don't get is Phoebe is very smart and very talented and very funny, mm-hmm. like a triple threat there. So, um, you know, I think when when people are kind of like just hating on something for the sake of it, I'm like, she doesn't care yeah. what you think about her smashing a guitar. She didn't. Did it look serious to you? Like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Like, that's the thing. It's like she she's great at, like, not taking – both taking herself seriously and not too seriously. Um, but people were just, like – I was – About a smashed guitar. Yeah. Because, you yeah. know, I, I, like, po- I, like, stayed up and watched it. So, I could see yeah, I was, like – I stayed up to play so it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Late. Then I was not expecting the following day to go on Twitter and like, it's like no one else in the history of music had ever like banged up an instrument before. It's it was- she's a, this thing I hate is, is like, it's cause she's a young woman and she didn't yeah. smash it well enough for everyone, you know, like never do anything well enough. I also <laughs> think it's because it doesn't like, if you're a woman in music, and mm-hmm. her category, right, is like, um, you know, she's like friends with Connor Ober, singer-songwriter. You know, it's like you're not allowed to step out of that box and, like, do something unexpected. So I right. think that it's more like she's been put in this category and you don't, because she's stuck there, like, she doesn't have permission to like sing a pretty song and then fuck a guitar up because it's too confusing. Right. It like scrambles people's brains. Well, and, and the like, Courtney Love can do it, but not Phoebe Bridgers, you know? Right. Like, I mean, the funny thing is, is I don't think, I don't think Phoebe has a box. I feel like if, if she wanted to wake up tomorrow and make an electronic album, she would and it would be great. Oh, yeah. It doesn't you have know, anything to do with the art. It has to do with like, uh, it's just like a platform of like fine normies. Normie saw her on TV and were like, a woman smashing yeah. guitar. Or like women being like, well, she didn't, you know, well, it wasn't rock enough. Yeah. And it's a, which is this whole thing where it's like, you, I don't know, people who are inside too long were taking themselves far too seriously, which I think is half the problem. And I I don't even know what David Crosby has done. Oh, my God. I don't even remember, but I remember when I saw that David, her like – um. Oh, she called him Whatever she tweeted back at him just made me spit my drink out, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, her forever for that. Can you, can you even imagine like some old guy from Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young is like goes on Twitter to like make fun of you to put down 
That's how you know you've done something wrong. <laughs> is when is when those people are mad. Yeah. You know that you're doing something great when people like that are like, oh, just the disrespect of an instrument. It's I like like this. Mm-mm. There's so many other things that we could be worrying about as a people and whether or not a guitar that was going to be smashed uh, was smashed as correctly or as rock as people had anticipated is not the antithesis of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just happy that she's my boss. Yeah. What a, what a great privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Um, you did a great job. I was very proud. I like seeing you on the television. I could, you know, I could get used to it. Um, <laughs> if, if someone has to be on SNL, it might as, it might as well be me. But, you, you know, like in the same way, I'm sure some people are like, oh, you know, I mean, I've dated people and I've been in bands where they're like, oh, I'm going to record over your bass parts. Or like, or, you know, Emily's not even a very good bass player. Emily's not even like the best bass player in this band. It's like, that's not what this is. You don't have, again, you don't have to be, you don't have to smash. Not everything in life is perfect. You know, I don't know. Um, You just do your thing. You do your thing and you be a good person and don't take yourself too seriously. Take your work seriously. And that's, what else can you ask for? I don't know. Hey. Hmm? I just think that there's a soul connection happening here. Um, oh, good. I thought I was just and, No, that. it's nothing bad, but you keep, like, you keep saying, I just did an interview with someone the other day. And one of my life mottos is, like, take your work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. And yeah. like, if I ever, ever start to take myself too seriously, like my friends have permission to just like throw me off a bridge because yeah. like, like stand up for yourself. I mean, yeah. my parents are always like, you be good to everyone. Yeah. Unless someone, you know, if someone's not good to you, you stand up, you stand up for you. Like I used to stand up. If someone bullied my older sister, my dad would be like, you need to go sort this out for her. And they would send me in. Cause I was the one who, who would stand up and be like, you know, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, and like get into a fight for her or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but you know, like I don't think I think some people are like take themselves too seriously and then yeah, maybe are not nice people. Or like, you know, that's not their intention. It's like to be nice only if they're getting something and which I mean feeds back into like the whole LA thing. It's like you should be nice to everyone. Yeah. It's not hard to be nice. It makes life easier. Also, it's so nice to be nice. Yeah, it feels good. Feels good. Yeah, it is. It's nice to be nice. People have, you know, varying and interesting stories. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, just that's all. But, yeah, take your work seriously. I don't know. When people people don't, I'm like, what's the point sometimes? Um, I'm I'm not going to ask you how you feel about your role or contribution to rock history um, (laughs) because we're not there yet. Damn it. Yeah, we'll come back like 10 years or something. I hope we come back in 10 years. Um, (laughs) We will. Don't be afraid of death. But I will I do want to ask you um what so I ask everyone this question too at the end of every interview. Just your thoughts on the visibility of women in rock history in general. Um is there still a gender discrepancy? Is it better or worse um just your thoughts on that i think i mean there's still a gender discrepancy i just have to look at like 
you know, the environments that I'm in where you're like, people are still walking into rooms where bands are like all white men led by all white men. Um, and I think until like that changes, then I think it will be that way. I think it will take some time too. I think it's, but in the same respect, I think it's definitely gotten better. Um, you know, I've definitely played in more, uh, mixed bands, um, I guess Reese, you know, in the last five years than I did. And I think people are more willing to like respect what you do and believe in what you do. But sometimes it can just be like, you know, the people that you're around as well. I think it's hard. Cause like, I always feel like Australia has this like weird toxic masculinity kind of thing where like, Sometimes, like, sometimes it's the women holding you back. Sometimes it's the men. Sometimes it's both. Um, and, you know, I have bleach blonde hair and people don't always take that seriously, funnily enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I feel like people are making conscious efforts to, to look at what they're doing and include people or reach outside of the circles, you know, that are maybe familiar familiar for them and look harder because there are people doing varied things from varying backgrounds um, that are interesting and valid and should be included. Um, But I don't think we're like at a place, I don't think there's gender equality, you know, at all, you know, but, um, but it's getting, you know, it's inching there. Are you optimistic about it? Hopeful? I don't know if I'm an optimist um, in any respect. I think you always have to fight, you know, you always have to fight for good. I think you always, at least that seems, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. Um, where one day will be that I don't, I don't see it in my lifetime, <laughs> but I think that there's some like, you know, some very smart women who are, you know, now have like the space where they can be their boss and make that decision for themselves, you know, cause they have, they have that power to do that. Um, where maybe they didn't have that before, you know, people are, are more willing to be outspoken and ask for the things that they want to need um, or want to be seen and are trusted maybe a little bit more to do that as well. So um, yeah, I think it, I think it can get better, but I think we have to always keep pushing and making space and, you know, dropping the ladder down to help other people up. I think that's such an important thing. It's like just because you've you've done it doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you know, be doing more. I think Patty Schemmel had something in her book about, like, you should always be giving back. Yeah. Like look at ways that you can give back to your community or create um, opportunities for other people. And I think that's really important. I know I used to like do a lot of um, community music programs in Adelaide where I was working with this um, great organization called Northern Sound System Um, for like, you know, people in disadvantaged areas. I was from a disadvantaged area. Like, you know, we did high school over the phone. So it's like if people don't have access to like 
Berkeley and, you know, all these other things, what are some other ways that you can give back or, you know, create pathways for people who maybe want to do something that you're doing um, but don't know how? Yeah. Or can't see, can't see a pathway as well. So or just knowing that, you know, there's opportunities out there for them to make their own paths. I think that can be daunting sometimes and it's important to show people and show women and women identifying people, you know, that non-white cis men, that, that they can do that. Because that can be hard to have permission. I know I needed permission. So, yeah, trying to, like, create space in that respect, I think is important. Emily, you're wonderful. Stop. I thought this was a really great first date. I think we have a lot in common. And I like your partner already. I don't know him yet, but I can tell that I'm going to like him. Oh, good. Okay with it. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Um, please follow Emily on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. She's really funny on Twitter. Um, please, I am uh, doing a, my big yearly fundraising event for the women of rock oral history project you can find that on our facebook page if you're uncomfortable donating through facebook or you don't have a facebook you can donate year-round at womenofrock.org follow the project on instagram women of rock ohp follow us on facebook uh follow us on twitter although i'm not that great at twitter but if you're bored you know just do that and i'll see you next time